Greetings, friends. My name is Jessa McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution that we know we need. All right, we got a squad with us today from Eglinton, Lawrence, and Don Valley for Palestine. It's a community group, obviously spurred in response to what we're all seeing and experiencing right now. I don't think I need to explain that. But we pulled them into the studio. You may have heard about this group, and we'll hear the details of exactly what happened. But Toronto police have declared part of their neighborhood off-limits to protests. I'm thinking specifically pro-Palestinian protests, but we're going to get the details from these folks. I'm sure you, you have seen the footage of the overpass confrontations that we not just in this location, but for around the city. And we're going to get a firsthand experience here. We've talked about this case before on one of our rabble rants, but it's nice to hear. We're going to get the origin story from these folks on how they came together, how they've responded to the police, and some real kind of personal reflections on what that's been like. Not to mention what it's been like with an MP like they have. So I'm going to start with Sky because according to the group, Sky, what happened to you kind of, and the response to what happened to you is what started the group. So can you share with us what exactly happened? For sure. Um, so first of all, I've been pro proactive within the protesting world since I was a little kid because my mom was an activist. So I was pro-Palestinian from 10 years ago when I was in high school. I grew up in Forest Hill. Um, it's known to be a predominantly good area, but that's more 1980s. <laughs> um, now it's very, very mixed. And um, <clears throat> obviously the whole uh, genocide started and um, I'm not in high school anymore. I'm 25 years old. So I thought, okay, what is a better, cause when I was in high school, I would just walk around the school saying like free Palestine. Like I, I honestly didn't care. Um, I would a lot of backlash back then too. Um, and then now I was like, what's a good way, you know, to still keep this going in my neighborhood? Cause I grew up here. Everyone knows me here. And, um, I, I seen that Starbucks was a, a huge funder. Of, of the Israeli weapons and stuff that they used in the genocide. And I've been avoiding Indigo for my whole life. So I never really related to Indigo. I've already done my part for that. So I was like, okay, Starbucks is right down my street. Let me write on some paper, free Palestine. Let me get some um, crayons that are washable crayons because I, I was a babysitter. So kids love to write on walls. So I just get these washable crayons. They can come to my house, write on my walls if they want. So I used these crayons and um, I just went to Starbucks and um, I taped these pieces of paper to the window. <laughs> and uh, in my mind at the moment, I'm thinking, OK, all I'm going to do is just get some people are going to drive by. It's on Eglinton. It's such a popular street. I went at nighttime because like I don't want to attract all these people as I'm doing it, obviously. 
So I go at nighttime, I tape these pieces of paper to the window, and then I left, <laughs> literally not knowing what was going to happen at all. Didn't expect anything, literally. I just expected them to see it, take it off the window, and go on with my day. To then wake up the next day, um, I was out with my friends, having a good drink, and then I get a, I get a message from someone I don't know. I think maybe someone in this group. I, don't, I actually don't know still. <laughs> And they were like, me, actually, was it you? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, just letting you know you're getting doxxed online. And I was like, what? So I go check out what what they're sending me. And it's people saying this girl vandalized the Starbucks. So I was like, I'm such a troll online. I love to make jokes. So I make a video and I'm like, hey, guys, I just I'm getting doxxed online because I vandalized the Starbucks, like repeating what these people are saying not thinking I had to like elaborate on what I actually did because like you could literally see that I just taped a piece of paper. Okay. Then I post that video the next day it's viral everywhere around Canada. Now we're hitting the news. We're going to book like every news station to literal Jerusalem post. So I don't know if I've made it to Israel or not <laughs> because I taped a piece of paper to a window and in my mind still, I'm like, okay, it's this a crime. Like, like, to, po- to tape a piece of paper to a window, okay, yes, it's to a business, but I still wouldn't consider that vandalism because I hadn't broken anything. And no like one that. here listening will either. <laughs> I hadn't broken anything or anything. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what happened. I just taped some paper to a window. I wrote with some washable crayon, Free Palestine, um, Starbucks uh, funds genocide, a cup of coffee, you mean a cup of blood. I, I not one message said anything about Jewish people um, or any anti-Semitic messages, but a lot of the news reported that it was anti-Semitism vandalism, um, which is a huge dox, right? Nothing that I wrote was anti-Semitic. Saying free Palestine is not anti-Semitic, obviously. Um, but yeah, a uh, couple days later, I get seven white cops to my door <laughs> Um, telling me they're from the hate crime unit. I'm like, what? What are you guys doing here? You know, because I didn't commit a hate crime. Um, They come with a search warrant looking for tape and crayons (laughs) that I use. Um, And uh, What house doesn't have tape and crayons? Right? Oh, mind you, they they literally did not find the crayons that I left right on my, like, (laughs) I only have one. So they, my my room was upside down, but they did not take the crayons. They only took the kafia scarves that I wore. <laughs> no, they didn't. Yeah, they took both my kafia scarves, and because I had worn them while I was taping the thing, so they guess I guess they saw that on the camera, um, and they took it. And then they took me to fifty three division uh, to charge me with mischief under, and then uh, I forgot what the last part is, but something what were you talking about uh, to like you ruin the business or something for the day because they had closed the Starbucks down for the entire day, put yellow crime scene tape around the Starbucks. Like it, 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 it was insane. Um, but yeah, that's the response that I got for taping up some pieces of paper um, in, in the area that I grew up in. And uh, from there I've just been doxxed. I've had uh, my babysitting profile taken down uh, which has only ever had five stars, and I'm actually one of the top babysitters on the entire website. Um, and uh, yeah, just if you Google my name, it is everything incorrect about me. <laughs> so 
that's pretty much what happened. Do you want to just tell us or like talk a little bit about the conditions and the way that's kind of messed up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, in order to be released from jail, uh, they ended up, to be honest, all six, six out of the seven cops, they were very kind. They were they were kind of beyond themselves about why they were even here. They were, they, they came to my house. They were like best friends with my mom, like look playing with my pets. Like they really didn't care until this one female cop, she was like, but you know what Hamas did was really bad, right? Like, do you understand why you're getting in so much trouble? Uh, she ended up pulling me aside before I got released from jail. Uh, and she gave me like this little interrogation interview. Um, asking me if I'm a murderer or if I like wanted to sacrifice myself or all these weird things. And, um, she came out of the interview saying, I think that she might, uh, be a Starbucks bandit. So we should just keep her on a curfew. Um, and so she's not allowed to leave her house from 9 PM to 6 AM. So that's been my condition since I started, since I got arrested, I have not been allowed to leave my house and, uh, I've, sent in two different bail variation forms to request to get that off because I'm no, I'm not going to reoffend. I'm not going to be a Starbucks bandit. I was clearly targeting my area um, because I grew up here. Everyone knows me here. And uh, yeah, they just keep declining me with absolutely no explanation. Just the crown declines your request. And um, obviously uh, I can't work in babysitting. I also am in entertainment. I model, I dance, I make music and I act which the majority of these jobs are at nighttime. The nine o'clock is probably when you're in the studio getting your hair and makeup done. So uh, I can't work at all for that either. Um, so they've pr- pretty much just taken everything from me, my jobs, my my uh, credibility um, and everything <laughs> just because I taped these pieces of paper to the window. <laughs> As you were uh, telling this story, I... I, I pulled up some of the articles written about this. I was curious. I haven't actually read them. And they're very, very poorly done. (laughs) I mean, right in the lead, trying to frame it as predominantly Jewish neighborhood, having uh, quotes of it being anti-Semitism in the headline. It's incredibly poor journalism. I'm curious, have any of them actually reached out to you for a comment? Any of the Uh. major (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, or or to hear about, you know, like the fact that you're under curfew? Honestly, absolutely none of the ones that none of those news reached out to me at all. The only one that did was Global News. It was uh, a journalist from the Global News who was doing an article about just a lot of protesters who had gotten arrested. So on top of my story, she interviewed the 11 people from the Indigo that got arrested the following week. Um Mine, mine was a bit in there, but honestly, she didn't really do that great either. She was pretty much trying to put me in a light like, oh, is it because you grew up in this area? Like, you're, I was like experienced racism and everything growing up here, um, being pro-Palestinian from a young age as well. It, I was already getting docked. So they kind of just tried to make it seem like I was getting back at these people for my childhood rather than just you know, seeing it for what it actually is. They always wanted to add like a little story to it. So that's the only one that actually reached out to me and they still didn't do a good job (laughs) representing me. So that makes me so mad because, you know, (laughs) for so many reasons, I mean, everyone listening is, I almost snapped my pencil, but you know, because we ask people to be disruptive on the show, 
right? We encourage it. I'll be open. Like we massively encourage people to be as disruptive as possible with the caveat that it comes with certain dangers, but never would I ever in all my organ, you know, how many posters I have taped to places like it's standard operating procedure. Look at all over Toronto's plastered with posters of something. Sometimes it's an event. Most of the time it's, you know, a message like that. And never would I ever even caution anyone to worry about repercussions like that. And the framing, I think we've all just come so... I don't think the framing shocks us anymore, unfortunately. The fact that it was framed as anti-Semitic. I mean, we've probably done a half to dozen episodes now trying to refute that and pushing back against that. But the level of which the police came after you, like the public is awful. The public can be awful. But this is... This is vengeful, you know, that kind of conditions put on somebody it is. considering where you make your livelihood, especially, right? Like that should be taken into consideration. Uh, exactly. Um, not only I do want to mention as well, um, across the street from the Starbucks that I had taped those, mind you, it was like six pieces of paper and literally printer paper, six pieces across the street there is another business where there was at least 100 posters glued to the window of saying, I don't know if it is a Jewish business or not, but regardless it is, you know, the kidnapped by Hamas posters, 100 glued to those windows, nothing. You know what I mean? So it's like not, and then they go on the news and they did a, um, at, there was a, a interview by a news station. They were interviewing a few of the Jewish residents in the area asking them how they felt about it. And in the same interview, you see they, they showed a female talking right behind all of those those 100 posters um, on that business right across the street from the Starbucks, not, not, not one repercussion or nothing, you know? So it's beyond me. Like, I, I've been taking these posters down. I had, to, I had to, like, literally get my keys to try to take them down because they're glued to these bus stops and everything. And I, I was there taped a piece of paper. I didn't even tape it all four corners. Like, you know, just stripped like two pieces. You could just rip it off. Don't worry. You don't know. Like, I mean, this is awful that Sky feels the need to be like, I didn't use industrial strength tape. You know, like, who cares? You could have crazy glued that shit. It's just a window. Like, you know how easy glass is to clean? It, you could... And it's a business. It's it's so impersonal really like it is a, a boycott with very personal reasons behind it but you can't get more kind of separated than that like a closed business essentially like it, you know that it, it that's hard to wrap i'm glad you came to tell that because if i tried to tell Thank it i you. don't think anyone would believe me they'd be like mm -hmm. i think she's stretching that a little bit like she's got some of those details wrong that can't be right but <laughs> okay so i'm i'm going to go to your comrades for a second uh, you guys can d decide amongst you who wants to kind of tackle this, but this happens in your neighborhood. You have, I'm assuming the rest of you are not all that new to activism either. I mean, I I know Sam is not. Um, so you've taped up posters in your neighborhood before. You've also maybe protested for free Palestine in your neighborhood before. And then this happens, right? Like this is... I was offended when the police decided that you couldn't protest in a certain area. So when something like this happens to you very close to home, you know, one, that's not right. So the people that you are, you've got to do something about it. 
But two, this threatens your ability also, right, to push back on this very same stuff and imagine being targeted. So what did you all do in response to this? So I, I can maybe pick it up from here. Uh, so this is like mid-November, right about the same time that our MP Marco Mendicino had traveled to Israel to take selfies in occupied Jerusalem. Um, I, I moved to the neighborhood actually fairly recently, like, you know, maybe just a bit over a year ago. Um, and just to get to know what was going on, I tried to join whatever neighborhood Facebook groups were around. And so some of those are toxic, Ben. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, you wouldn't believe how toxic I mean, it's a lot of like ladies that I think watch the their security cameras to like monitor delivery people to see if they look the wrong way at their Mercedes and then have a freak out. But um, we know the type. Yep. Yeah. No. But so so I wake up log into Facebook and it's just like a barrage of like complete hysteria on this neighborhood Facebook group about how there's been an anti-Semitic hate crime uh, and whoever's done it needs to be deport. Like the even before they'd identified who Sky is, the first thing was we need to deport these people. Right? <laughs> like we, this is Obviously not a real Canadian, because a real Canadian wouldn't be opposed to genocide, which I can't fault their logic. Um, but they, you know, included pictures of the Starbucks, which had literally like, I mean, Sky is not lying. It, it says stop funding genocide on like printer paper written in like crayon taped with like one piece of scotch, scotch tape. And the picture has like yellow caution tape all around it. There's all this stuff about how this has been reported as a hate crime. Um, like, and then, uh, eventually as the sort of day progresses, you know, a few of us are kind of trying to push back. Like, is this really a hate crime? Like, is this not, I mean, you mean in the forums, the, right? You're trying to be the yeah, voice of sanity in Facebook group, like just being like, you know, the context for this is kind of obviously the thing that had recently cropped up, which was that the, um, the union trying to organize Starbucks workers, had made some sort of solidarity statement and Starbucks management had like sued them for that and tried to like really kind of union bust essentially around the issue of the union being pro-Palestine, right? So talking about that context, stuff like that, of course, we're being met by this like incredibly incendiary and lurid rhetoric about how like if we're defending this, then we must support you know, every woman being like sexually assaulted or, you know, like whatever. Um, and I mean, through this process, I think like four or five of us kind of like recognized each other and, you know, back channeled each other being like, can you believe like what? what you found like, like the one on? person yeah. making sense. And it was like a, a, a boy, right? A life, life preserver. And you just grab them. Yeah. Is this really yeah. happening? No, exactly. And and um, and so we're like messaging each other and we're also like kind of talking about, uh, you know, because, again, this is the moment that Marco Mendocino decided to travel. Mendocino decided to travel to Israel about like, I mean, like, how can this like be our federal representative, like the person that is our line to Canadian foreign policy? Um, and so like the early proto discussions that kind of led to part of the group coming together, like really happened, happened there. So that's, that's like one side of the story of the formation of the group. I think Asiya, you mentioned you kind of have another perspective because we actually connected with Asiya's 
kind of squad that had been coming together via like I think I reached out to the the Danforth for ceasefire group being like it's really cool what your neighborhood is doing and they connected me to like a TO organizers group where I met like Asia and a couple of other people so I don't know Asia do you want to speak to your experience yeah so me and someone else I found from Eglinton Lawrence met on a sort of presentation about anti-semitism and things that were going on um that was organized by independent jewish voice and then i was like yeah Uh, they kind of explained the history and what's going on now and how some things are wrong and uh whatnot and at the end there were questions and i asked for some advice and then i was like how can i go about speaking to my mp who's like He's straight up, he's just very racist. And uh, how do I approach this guy looking the way that I do? Uh, and they didn't really know what to say. But then somebody spoke up and they said, I'm actually from that riding. And I'm actually Jewish, so we could go together. And if he tries to pull anything, well, he can't. <laughs> so that was very, very cool for me. And since then, we have been trying to find other people to join us as well to finally set up a meeting with Mendicino and this is like the end of December I think so I was aware that people were had already sent and called you know a hundred times hundreds of emails and he wasn't responding to them I think Ben said the first and only response was telling people that Mendicino is away on holiday right Yeah, the the first email response I got after like 150, 170 something emails was like on Christmas Day, I got a out of office vacation automatic email um, back from him. So at least I know that my emails were getting through. I hadn't been typing the address wrong. You're supposed to get an automated thing anyway from those MPs. I definitely haven't. I haven't. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So from there, we also connected with the Toronto directory group and we were just typing for weeks on that group chat. As more people joined, we're like, anybody from Edlington Lawrence, let us know again and again. And then finally we built like a group of five with Ben and then it kind of, we found like such a specifically talented group of people that it just happened so fast after that. And now we are here. Yeah. That is the best part about grassroots organizing because the talent you untap by just like asking for help or letting people do what they do best. Um, it's always nice when you have a eclectic group, right? Not everybody wants is pros at Photoshop and nobody knows how to set up a database, but you know, it it you really can get a lot done with very few people. Um, if you let them loose, right? And there's trust there to to just kind of go. Because I wanted to, you kind of answered one of my questions and I'm kind of going to ask it anyway. You, you've gone beyond now trying to contact your MP. You know, on top, Ben isn't just sitting there sending emails every second of the day, although you must have in order to have sent that many. But um you're doing a lot of local actions. Banner drops is kind of 
what got you into this in the first place, right? <laughs> All the, the shenanigans we're going to talk about after that. But you could have easily gone downtown. I mean, transit's not great from, I mean, some of you might be technically in Scarborough over there, but you could easily just go down to the bigger rallies. That's a lot less work. Um, why do you think that local presence is so important? Because like now you have to defend that, right? Right. It, it's become contentious. So it would be a lot easier for you folks now to just, you know, blend in. Why aren't you doing that? So I'll, I'll probably start and then somebody else can hop in, fill in anything I missed. But um, I think this whole thing started out with about 20 overpasses having this banner drop. And I think this was beginning or mid-December. And one of them happened to be 401 and Avenue. And that was the closest one to me. So when I finally went to my first one, I believe it was December 24th. Um, and even on that day, uh, some people had said some things on my way there, just not very nice things, as I was just on my way to the overpass. Um, but yeah, can anybody else just jump in? Because I just wanted to make sure you guys are aware there were many other overpasses and basically all the way to Brampton, actually the first one um, included Brampton. So they were obviously trying to include places that were close to everybody so we wouldn't have to travel far. Yeah, um, I would add, and I can't speak as much to the uh, unfortunate treatment of some of the people who have been protesting or some of the people who are visibly Muslim uh, have faced uh, in this area. Uh, I personally haven't experienced that, fortunately, uh, in part because I'm not Muslim or visibly Muslim. Uh, but there's a lot of reasons why, why we were there. Um, for one, uh, many of us have attended many uh, protests and demonstrations at other locations downtown, outside the Israeli consulate, uh, etc. And uh, one thing is just the more the better, right? Because th this is part of a mass global movement of millions of people coming out for Palestine. And so the more actions that occur, the better. And uh, for uh, all of us here, I mean, this, this is a far closer and more convenient location uh, for us to go and demonstrate. And, and not that protesting is supposed to be convenient, but if it is, then more people can show up. Um, and uh, as has been repeatedly stated in, in, by us in the news and in our public statements, uh, by virtue of being a highway overpass, uh, it's a very high visibility spot. Thousands and thousands of cars pass by, and so it's a very easy means to spread our message. Uh, so as, as we have gone over so many times, and I'm, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm speaking so exasperatedly, but uh, it's a very standard and natural location for a demonstration to occur. Uh, and, and that's <laughs> really the end of it. Um, but as, as has been, as some of my friends have mentioned to some extent already, I'm sure they'll talk about it a bit more, because of some uh, racist backlash, some really just not acceptable treatment of some of the people who have been there, uh, it's almost been sort of a self-defending response for people to continue coming back to this specific overpass in order to demonstrate that we have the right to be there and that we're not going to be intimidated by people who, uh, you know, want to, as one agitator put it, uh, physically push us out. 
So it was never about, uh, you know, doing anything to harm or intimidate any local community members, uh, be they Jewish or otherwise. Uh, it was initially just, this is a very standard protest. And as a result of the, the treatment that people experienced, uh, we felt it was really important to continue showing up, uh, not as organizers, but as participants, our group, uh, continue showing up to, to show that, you know, we have the right to exist and peacefully uh, spread our message. I mean, I, I can maybe speak a little bit more specifically to the timeline, too. So um, Asiya mentioned that I think you had first gone to the overpass protest in the neighborhood on the 24th. I think we probably had our first like group organizing meeting like a couple days before. So we didn't actually attend that as a group. But on the 24th, I don't know if you know who Mir Weinstein is or the JDL. We wish we uh, didn't. I'm sure some of our audience does. Yeah, so so the JDL is an, uh, I think it stands for Jewish Defense League. It's an FBI-listed terror organization. Mir Weinstein was their former leader and has since kind of rebranded himself. I think he he tweets under, like, never again pod one now. Um, They've rebranded the whole group here in Canada. Yeah, and incidentally, uh, he's been retweeted in the last little bit by our MP, Marco Mendicino, who, yeah, again, our MP has retweeted the leader of an FBI-listed terror organization um, while demonizing peaceful protests. But so, do you condemn Hamas, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So, so, yeah, so on the 24th, he had really put out a call to his following to, uh, for people to come and physically chase off the peaceful protesters. So we, at that point, weren't a part of any of that as a group. But that weekend on the 24th uh, was when Nicole Ziegler was filmed making a, like, neck cut gesture. Um, uh, one of the counter-protests smashed signs in a way that threatened to knock them down into traffic. Um, uh, cars were keyed. A, a woman, like, uh, it was spat on one of the Palestinian protesters that was also caught on camera. Um, and so I know that I was pretty appalled by that. And I think everyone in the group, which was coming together at that moment, were appalled by that. So the next weekend on the 30th, we organized a group to go and be there in solidarity. And, and I, we weren't the only group that kind of, I think, did that. I mean, there was a whole crew from uh, the Jews Say No to Genocide Coalition that was there. Um, but when we got there, what we found was that the police had been mobilized to completely shut down the overpass. Now, the context of why the overpasses that were chosen were chosen was because they had sidewalks. So basically every overpass along the 401 in the GTA that had a sidewalk where you could go wave flags and drop a banner without disrupting traffic was chosen for these for these actions, right, by by the organizers, which, you know, we, again, weren't involved in that decision, but that's... What but that's a common in. place to drop a banner. Everyone knows Avenue of... Well, people in Toronto, sorry, I'm I so mean, Toronto-centric, Santiago. Ukraine, like, Ukraine solidarity banners dropped, no scandal about, like, them intimidating local Russians or anything like that, which I'm sure there are local Russians that were probably very, you know, unnerved by that. Um... Uh, so yeah, so so we showed up and we found the police had completely blocked traffic. So again, the protesters had not blocked traffic. It was the police that did. Um, eventually, we kind of found ourselves pushed into the intersection of Wilson and Avenue. 
and you know whatever protested and then i think a, a whole crew of us went up to the uh, division 32 to ask like why they did this like wh where this order came from uh one of the chants we came up with was like one two three four what are you hiding for did you Five, get any six, answers as did you get any because i think that's the question that a lot of us are asking like who gave them the right right we may not be very articulate about it like who the fuck do they think they are that they can just declare a neighborhood off limits to a, a legal protest i mean i don't know what the rules are about the actual banner drop i mean it's probably some bylaw out there but it you know that's routine what so what gave them the green light for this yeah, so they they were they refused to be clear. They just said that it came from like downtown. That at the time, that's, that's all they were saying. That's such a cop thing cool. to say. Did yeah. he have his hand on his gun when he said it? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> and uh, and so and this is again before the uh, before the official ban, right? Um, and then you know again we mobilized to get a crew out there for the sixth. This is when Coffee Gate happened. Uh, Right, like okay. Where, for listeners uh, no, that actually, don't know, cops got caught handing out coffee to protesters to terrorist supporters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not Which, handing out, but just carrying from one protester who they were blocking from accessing the bridge to other protesters who were on the bridge. So they didn't purchase it; they just did a small favor and walked it over twenty feet. Yeah, I mean, they've I been thought blocked. that was really so weird. Few, I mean, cops don't do that for us. <laughs> yeah, a few folks had arrived early and kind of beaten the cops to the punch, and so managed to stake out positions on the bridge. But then the cops came and created a, a cordon to block anyone from joining them. And so at one point, someone ordered Tim's and, you know, you know, whatever we as we would like. OK, so to, to Karima's credit, her full video captures this context that like essentially uh, the cops had blocked the delivery person, but consented to carry like to just pass the delivery over to the other side of the cordon. Um, and then when Marco Mendocino retweeted the uh, the video, he edited that context out. So it looked like the police had, you know, bought the protesters cookies. Nothing is real anymore, Santiago. Nothing is real. Nothing you read about anything related to these stories has been real. And so we heard we heard about Coffee Gate from every media outlet at the same protest. An 11 year old was attacked. An 11-year-old was attacked in front of the cops by a counter-protester, was kneed and pushed. Uh, th there's a case that's being processed. I don't think anyone has talked about that. That has made no news. Like, just the number of violent incidents perpetrated by, by like, pro-Israel counter-protesters on the solidarity protesters. Um, so. What an absolute failure of media. And, you know, I, I, I read a lot of the stories uh, relating, you know, Coffee Gate and everything that came after. And it was very clear that they didn't bother to get any perspectives from anyone who was actually there because otherwise they would have to talk about these things. But when you just go off of police press releases, which is what they mainly did, you get a fifth of the story and a very conveniently framed one at that. When Sky gave her answer and when Sam gave his answer, I know the audience felt the defensiveness, right? Like they'll know you. I hope you all know I am on your side. Right. And I know it's not with me, but it's because you have faced so much shit 
for doing something so simple? Like to Sam's answer, you know, like I asked about why local, right? And and if you had imagined you were asking just maybe another person in another riding that was aiming to do the same thing, like why do you bring locals together rather than just joining the mass group? you would have a really different answer. You hit on it very quickly, right? It's because that's the idea of the movement, right? Fire, right? We want wildfire. And every time you have a little spark, you get a bigger spark. And like, that's what I wanted y'all to say, right? Because I'm not looking to condemn you, no way. But you have been bombarded with having to defend every tiny little decision. Like the view, Sam felt the need to defend being in his own neighborhood and walking the sidewalk with a sign, or dropping a banner. Like, and he felt that with me and he knows my position. So you can only imagine like what that does. Right. And a lot of people will rail back against it. Some people will walk away, right? It's just too much. It's that's a lot of stress. What Sky is going through that there's a lot of people listening to this that may not ever tape up another piece of paper ever. Right. Especially not on Starbucks. And that's the idea. That's the idea is to dissuade as many people as possible, but you folks have persevered, right? So although like you can talk about all of the events that you have thrown and the interactions and how bad they were, you, you can also generalize it too because you don't need to defend yourself. What you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing, not just because the Palestinian youth movement has made these calls and the Palestinian workers have put out these calls for us to resist, right? You have the right to do that because your charter says so. If if you, you're worried about a piece of paper, you're, you're, you're allowed to do that because that's, you know, a democratic right. I would say that's your duty. Um, and I think you folks just have a really, that firsthand perspective on this personal impact that this framing has, right? The what it's doing to your psyche, what it's doing to how you plan your next move and, and what that might be doing to people you don't even know. Like there might be other people that want to join your group, but now they're just like, this is a lot of drama. This is this not supposed to be like this, this hard. So maybe like Nas, do you want to speak to like why you continue to persevere through this or just perhaps what it's been like facing so much resistance to something that should be a given, right? Like asking for a ceasefire or the end of genocide. It's definitely infuriating to like have to defend why we want to do this when the simple answer is humanity. Um, I think that's something we all um, are trying to fight for. Um, just someone's freedom to have a space for themselves, a safe space for their family to flourish, um, you know, to not always fear violence. And it's, it's astounding. And um, I've just come to realize how naive I've been as an immigrant um, to think that I came to a place with freedom, where I could be safe, where um, I could speak out if things were unjust, but I've been so naive um, to think that I could do that without backlash, um, without a threat to my safety. Um, it, joining the group, um, it was a fluke. I 
happened to connect um, to someone who was in Davenport and then they redirected me to Eglinton Lawrence and um, I was um, shocked by how amazing the core people were when I joined. They were already like up and running and you know trying to find ways to get our writing involved as much as Davenport was and some others have been and at first I was like oh you know like just some people who empathize with me empathize with humanity and want to do something I honestly didn't know what I'd be doing I'm like <laughs> I'm just like looking for people who are real people and not on the internet because all I saw was Instagram posts, Instagram things about how people are suffering. And I would like personally just cry myself to sleep some days um, because I couldn't believe this is real. Um, I think my breaking point was um, seeing a lot of stories about children. I have a nephew who's two and a half and he is like half my world <laughs> and seeing children um, getting hurt and that was my breaking point. I was like, I need to do something. Um, even if it means just joining a group and postering or going to protest together, something, anything. Um, I didn't know what I had the power to do. And my parents were definitely against it. Um, we're visibly of people of color. Um, my mom wears a hijab and that's definitely, you know, she's visibly Muslim. And my parents were very scared. They still are. They've tried to dissuade me a couple of times in the beginning. Um, but I, I will not stop my involvement. Um, even if like I can't do risky things or um, I don't know um, I, I just can't stop um, again I think we all have this vision of fighting for humanity I think that's what it is can I just add a quick thing didn't didn't you manage to recruit your mom to come to one of the big downtown protests yes, with us I did um, she's also going to come to our events um, on the weekend, um, which we'll talk about later. But um, uh, now they, they, anytime I mention an action that they can get involved in, um, whether that's some of the newer stuff coming out with taking money out of the bigger banks, um, I've managed to capture their interest with that. Um, so, and I've been sharing more and more with my family um, and being more like vocal about it on like Facebook and stuff where most of my family and extended family see me. Um, again, not a lot of noise there. Um, there never was. <laughs> but um, I, just because there is a noise there, it doesn't mean I can't create some, right? So. Well, yeah, that's the idea, especially related to the call to do things like banner drops in as many accessible locations as possible. Any good organizer knows that, right? So it's just that 
And I think a lot of people right now, and thankfully a lot of people, feel that push. Like nobody, anybody here feel like they're doing enough? Like, no. I know. <laughs> I know. Like we we spoke to someone who basically runs Palestine for labor or labor for Palestine. They also traveled to the West Bank to do protective presence on villages there. They don't feel like they're doing enough. You know, that push is in a lot of us. Uh, that's why a lot of us are activists, right? You just can't stop. And so it's just really heartbreaking to see such barriers put up, you know, that aren't existing perhaps in every neighborhood, but a lot, you know, a lot of local groups are facing this kind of backlash. So it's helpful for them to hear from you folks that, you know, although you're acting like superhumans, you are just local people who came together quite organically and decided they would just, you know, start somewhere and keep rolling with it. And now <laughs> you end up on a world stage, <laughs> skies in the Jerusalem Post and hate crime units <laughs> and coffee gate and so much. I mean, kudos. I bet you didn't think like such small events <laughs> that you did. Like sometimes you show up to a rally, a rally that you've planned and it's like 20 people. And you're like, you know, if that's up in my hood, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'd be like so stoked. But then like you make international news with that little rabble, <laughs> that little group of rabble rousers. And it's just like, all right. I mean, that's a lot of presence. I know it's some of it is unwelcome, but you make no doubt a splash. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I do. Can I say something yes. quick? Just with how the because the group reached out to me, I honestly, because I was viral on TikTok. I was getting so many hate messages on TikTok. And for me to be in this group is actually a fluke. I'm not going to lie because I was getting hundreds of messages in my requests. And one of them, like, it was like, it looked like a fake account. It had like barely any followers, anything. Sorry. <laughs> but they, <laughs> sorry, but you, they messaged me, you messaged me and it was like, Hey, like we have a group. Uh, we heard about you and like, I was so skeptical because I'm like, am I going to get set up? Like, I generally had no idea. I'm getting a million death threats every day. And I had no idea what their intentions were. Right. And all I've known is like, I, I don't know pro Palestinians in this area. I never knew that. So I was like, yeah, sure. Like I was like a little bit skeptical at first. Like, okay, I'll join it. Do you have like a Facebook group? I don't want to give you guys my number. Like I was really like scared like that. Like I really didn't um, know them. But once I got into the group, it was like, honestly, it was a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. It really was because I genuinely felt the support that they they had. They they knew my story without me knowing me at all and immediately offered support in literally every way possible. Like I knew for a fact I was not alone and they were at every corner. Naz, we found out we went to middle school together. Like it was so random, like to see that there's different people um uh, in my area that had this support. And I knew from that moment, like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna shut up. I'm gonna go even harder. You're gonna see even more TikToks. You can keep bringing the police here. My mom's also a very proactivist. So I was like, let's go, let's, let's keep this up. And they really gave me that, that push. Like, I didn't know what my role would have been. I'm like, I'm here for muscle if you guys need me, whatever. But um, yeah, it was just, it was a really 
good fluke, honestly. I'm really thank you, Asia, for that. <laughs> thank you, Sky, for that. Because I think I saw your comrades smiling. I don't know if you had told them that before, but it's always nice to hear that you have been a support system. Sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it, right? You don't you don't realize that people are leaning on you. Um, so, I mean, everyone has heard the most recent development involving your protest, which is that, you know, you're not allowed to be there anymore. Can you tell us about what happened when you went back and and have you been back since? So I don't believe we have gone to the bridge for a protest since there was a ban. People respected the ban. Um, however, we heard about a group getting together to just walk on that bridge. And it was people from our riding and they were not gonna drop banners or hold flags or anything. They were just gonna walk across with kofias. And this was partly because we wanted to make sure Palestinians can express their culture and feel safe and feel that they can just cross this bridge without being targeted. Same goes for visible Muslims and just people of color that are going to be wearing the kofiyas. And then going as a group uh, gave confidence and safety, which I feel has been lacking and I'm sure many others have felt the same. No, actually I know for a fact they feel the same, but and I, I'll probably just throw in my experiences before I get into the 13th and there are certain neighborhoods that I can't really go to anymore um, and I can't say that I'm scared I just feel like I don't want to suffer the consequences there I'd rather get harassed somewhere else when I have more energy for it to be honest but yeah there are certain neighborhoods that I just can't go to anymore because you know I get yelled at or people just start talking in front of me or I get shoved into things like that it's super weird um and you experience these things as a Muslim here and there but it is um it's pretty crazy right now you just can't you just can't walk around some areas in our riding um because you're never really sure what's going to happen. So so that was also part of the reason that we went on that bridge. I specifically just wanted to make sure Palestinians knew that we had their backs and that they would feel safe walking there. Uh, clearly, we are not safe crossing a bridge, whether it's just crossing the bridge or waving the flags on the bridge. And so we joined this group and we were taking a walk and we crossed the bridge and about halfway a bunch of police cars had pulled up and one of the cops comes out along with some others that line up and he just stops us halfway and starts telling us that we can't group here and just just take it we were not grouping we were not stopping they stopped us so now we were a group there was 15 of us max and the group got smaller afterwards, but they kind of hold us up 
just making really empty arguments, telling us we can't be disturbing. At this point, we were literally just walking. So finally, one of the guys who was trying to be respectful at the front, who was also on the walk with us, he informs the police officer that he will let everybody know that we need to get across the bridge which again is what we were just trying to do. So they made a problem out of nothing. And as soon as they all kind of walk away so he can explain it, um, the quote unquote nice police officer just turns to the next cop and he says, you see that one? That's the first one you arrest if anything happens. Talking so about they you? let- Talking about the no, gentleman no, no. who was speaking. The guy who was, yeah who was just trying to have, you know, keep a good relationship. So, uh, we keep walking and nothing is happening. It's very icy and snowy. They had shoveled the road, but not the sidewalk. So all the snow had gone into the sidewalks and it was like, like hills of snow and ice. And we had elderly people with us. Um, every other sidewalk before and after the bridge conveniently was shoveled. So yeah. Um, we kept walking, we were going a little slow, again there were elders with us and they kept rushing us and pushing us and more cops kept pulling up and lining up and just following us and then we crossed the bridge to walk over to the other side which again we had to negotiate to just cross the bridge and walk over the other side and as we're walking on the other side we're getting slower, it's icier and I believe nothing happened before this, right, Ben? I mean, so I actually had dropped you guys off and gone to park. And so I can add a little detail, which is that I kind of came to catch up to you guys. And I'd lent Sam my keffiyeh, so I wasn't wearing a keffiyeh. Um, and so I just looked like, you know, whatever, a white guy in a winter coat. And I mean, the cops like asked me like hey, oh are you from the neighborhood and i just said yes which is true i'm from the neighborhood and then they just waved of me course by. They did. of course they yeah. did yeah and so and and there's like video evidence also of them once they'd fully cordoned off the bridge of them just letting again white presenting people not wearing keffiyeh like move along like tipping their hats at them and stuff like that right i just wanted to add as we were stopped and trying to negotiate just to keep walking, there were people going back and forth and the cops were not stopping them. Just for further context, I'd just say the police presence was massive. Absolutely massive. How many cops yeah. do you think? They, they outnumbered us multiple times to one, easily. Pro probably like 50 cars, <laughs> like 50 police cars were like lined up. There was a That's SWAT the ones that we could there see. There was a SWAT team. But yeah, it was SWAT teams. It was um, literally at least two to three cars from each division in Toronto. And like that is very rare to see different divisions come together. I think we all know that each division doesn't even like each other. Now we so know where the police budget goes. That's mind you, this is the same day that there was a Yorkdale shooting. OK, also the day after there were three shootings in one hour down the street. Like it was it was there were TTC buses that were. Police buses. They were not, and they took up the, the TTC station nearby. There was a group of firemen 
and then ambulance in case and and a bunch of court service trucks. When I mean there was at least a hundred cops, and out of the hundred cops, maybe maybe ten cops had their cameras on. Like I'm not even saying recording. I just mean on. They were off. When you know a cop's camera's on, it's green. When it's recording, it's red. There was at maybe five that I saw like recording to the point where we kept asking, "Can you guys turn your cameras on?" Like this. You're not even allowed to be here without it being on. So I just wanted to put in, like, it wasn't just more cops. It was literally every cop from the city, from every division, from the SWAT team. Like, it was insane. It was, you would have thought there would have been a bomb. Like, you would have thought it would have been something like 9-11 just happened. The line between tragedy and farce is a thin one. (laughs) I I had to ask, because all of the footage I've seen from that day seems to be have recorded from people who were there. Was there any media there at all? Yeah, One. City TV. One, City TV, that's it? City TV was there for like 10 minutes. This is before anything happened, um, which is pretty convenient for everybody else. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think um, they eventually get irritated with us because we were taking too long to walk. And, and they're getting closer and they're kind of in lines behind and beside us. And so we're over here in the middle uh, in a group. And because they start kind of nudging us and pushing us and saying, move, move, it's now uh, we're kind of getting squished together and trying to tell people to go ahead. And we're telling them, just wait, just wait. Um, And at that point, they actually had arrested somebody and most of us didn't even notice. So we don't know what happened. They didn't tell us why. We kept asking them why. And... Later on, I asked the police officer and she said it's because he was on the bridge. And I was like, okay, why are we not all in handcuffs, ma'am? She just stopped talking after that. But um, as we're getting pushed, one guy, Sky, you want to do the imitation of the uh, (laughs) military wannabe? (laughs) Literally, it was just us in the little group because now we're getting cornered. And we're not on the bridge at this point. We are literally on the side of the bridge, okay? out of nowhere all cops were still not doing the most this one white cop walks up to the group of everybody of us and all of the other cops and does this military chant which they used in blm protests as well right before they started attacking protesters and he goes like 10 hut like move forward and take them out literally he says take them out at that moment there, I just saw, like, there were specific cops I saw light up. Like, this was their time to shine. I literally remember one cop specifically. He immediately, like, less than one second after that chant, he grabs, starts literally grabbing and throwing people on the floor. Uh, of course, it was one of the oldest people for the first, and then one of the youngest, tiniest people the second, and... You can continue from there. So as soon as they, as soon as he says that, I like turn around <laughs> and I yell at him like, turn on your cameras. Yeah. She, <laughs> just the second he says the, the chance, she's like, take your cameras out. Like, yeah. They're coming. Um, yeah. Jeez. Jeez. Literally that was it. Tech. Like right before they did this, they were like, you know, we're not letting you do anything because it's for your safety. It's for your safety. Meanwhile, we're, we're on... 
we're on like we're on the sidewalk and when they do this they just like they forcibly shove us onto the on-ramp i saw that so they shoved us i off. saw that i took real beef for yeah, that i'm like you gotta be kidding the me sidewalk into the on-ramp for our safety yeah. well i mean to protect and serve it's all a joke right like the whole thing protect who though you know but yeah for your safety but what happened to the people who they shoved and tackled so I think at least half of us fell at some point because they really were pushing. Uh, the first person who fell was an, uh, an older guy, and he was an imam. And he kind of flips, and he fell on his head. And at this point, everything was happening so fast. We're all getting pushed. Half the people are on the floor, and they're kind of mocking us, saying, you're fine, you're fine, just get up. Uh, and I'm yelling at them, like, stop. Like, stop pushing. And... And then I'm holding on to a friend who just, like, uh, she was just having a panic attack. So I just had to kind of stay holding her. And as I'm holding her, we're getting pushed. And I'm yelling at the cop. And I'm saying, look at the elderly man. He's been pushed. And he's going, he's fine. Just move along. Um, And another one of our members went in to go help the imam. Sorry, just before all this... um, Right when we started to get pushed, I'm not sure, I believe it was somebody on our side who had said, keep your hands in the air so they can't do anything. So everybody's hands were in the air, and and then we start getting pushed and everything after that. So one of our members had his hand in the air, and he went to help the imam, and he... So many cops jumped on him, and they grabbed him, and you could see in the video, he's literally just like, like, I'm doing what, you're, what you want. I don't know why you're doing all this. And then they arrest him. And a couple other people stayed with the older man. And we're getting uh, pushed and they're yelling at us. And there's one police officer who is literally grabbing people and flinging them. He even flung one person at another police officer. And the cop looked at him like, uh, what's, uh, what are you doing, man? <laughs> so... So everybody's getting pushed and flung, and this one, I think, even pushed Sky. Like, he was just excited to grab everybody. Um, and at this point, we're on the sidewalk, and they had told us to stay on the sidewalk, and then they pushed us to the side at the end of the bridge, which is the next thing they had told us to do. They said, okay, now you need to be on the end, and then they keep pushing and pushing, And then they say again, actually, you need to be over there, just outside. Like, they just kept pushing and pushing. And so we did what they wanted, but they they just kept asking for a more. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. I mean, so just to answer Santiago's question, um, the imam was hospitalized. Uh, One of our members, you know, a woman who is like 100 pounds soaking wet, was like one of the she got pushed down twice she suffered a concussion like a serious concussion and uh two fractures to her in her spine to, yeah to her tailbone um so what like she's yeah all of this is caught on camera there was another woman who was also hospitalized um you know as uh Asiya mentioned one of the guys that was arrested was literally arrested for trying to help the imam stand up <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So there were, there were real consequences. And meanwhile, they're still, like, waving through the, like, rich white people, like, walking their dogs on the other side of the bridge, right? 
And like, there's a little like crowd of people like gathering, you know, down off the bridge, kind of like just, you know, figuratively eating popcorn and watching this happen. Those cops from around the city have clearly been dying to get at some protesters. And you know what? It's like fucking cowards saw a smaller group, right? They wouldn't come at one of the big marches like that. They wouldn't get away with it. So, yeah, you talk about that cop's eyes lighting up. Those are the kind of people that become cops, right, to do power tripping shit like this. But they were sent to make an example of you folks, right? They can't they can't touch those bigger rallies, like I said. And so they came from far and wide. Their buddies put, oh, we got a call. You know, sirens went on and and they they were to make an example of you as a deterrent to, I think, that neighborhood to cease and desist, you know, like stop existing because you're talking about folks just walking with kafias at this point being deemed a threat. And so, my gosh, I, I can't imagine what that's like. You know, I wear my kafia around this little town and I don't even know if half these people know what it is. Right. We're talking about kind of removed, real conservative. They, they likely don't even know. But I'm almost challenging them to say something, right? Because that's my, I've I got a bit of a privileged position there, and I'm just like, I dare you folks. But it's a completely different experience being able to make that choice and and kind of ask for it and then just simply being accosted for existing. And mind you, everyone was extremely peaceful before all of this, even as Asya was saying, the the main leader, I guess, or whoever the police appointed to arrest first. He even literally, I was right beside him when he when he had empathized with the police and he had said, look, we can empathize with you because if you're putting this pressure on us, we can't imagine what your higher ups are doing to you. Like he had done everything to empathize with them. We were not swearing. We were not cussing like we were doing. And this is for me, obviously, really hard because I, I come from a whole different movement. So being peaceful in this type of environment was already very hard. But it wasn't until I saw them grab one of the members as we were walking in the direction they told us to go, grab him, drag him back to the, the middle of the intersection. And it was six cops digging their knees onto his neck like George Floyd. No, no difference. I'm not even joking. In the snow. And I, that's when I snapped. And of course, that's when that's what the media and people on their phones wanted to go go crazy. I, I didn't care. I went off. I saw what was happening. I, um, I seen Ben's video and he was like, get your knee off of his neck. And then uh, a friend of ours in our group, like she could not stand. I was trying to help her up and I was wondering why she was not even helping. Like she, it was like kind of dead weight. Like she wasn't really helping herself up. And it was because she literally could not stand. It was so serious, you know, and. It was so defeating at that point to have 100 cops versus us and all we can have are our voices, you know, and then in a group where everyone wants to still be so peaceful, I, I couldn't even hold myself back. I was beyond pissed, pissed the fuck off. I'm not even joking. Like I was just done. Um, and to see everyone get injured and, and arrest made just for peacefully walking in our area um, with no malintent other than to literally make presence in our own area uh, beside the big church. It's not even like we're right beside a synagogue or anything. There's a huge old church right where we are, you know, and then to see Zionists come out of their apartments laughing, oh, the cops are on our side, like that said, like basically eating popcorn, just enjoying the moments. And it was it was actually it was it was so bad. It was so bad. I'm not even... <laughs> As we were walking 
on the bridge. We were crossing it the first and then on the way back. There were many cars that were passing by saying ridiculous, um, just making ridiculous comment, really degrading comments. Just they felt so comfortable opening their windows and calling us terrorists and dogs. Um, and obviously the police like didn't do anything about that. But I just want to speak to how the kind of privilege you have to have to feel so comfortable to drive by with your license plate. Like so many cop cars and police officers and just know that nothing will happen to you if you insult or speak down or I don't know, just hate speech, say anything directed at people knowing you're not going to get in trouble any consequences <laughs> yeah not even that they had their fl- they had israeli flags in one hand their camera in the other as they're driving if that's not a crime on its own to like not be focused on the road as you're driving we're literally there like this person is on their phone as they're driving do you not want to go do something about it they're like no it's okay they could just go there they're, they're so focused on us like it made no sense just full-on crimes being committed in front of the, the cops and they're focused on the one group that's not committing a crime I mean, just also just some, like, it's really memorable, like, the the assholes that were, like, screaming racist bullshit from their cars. But, like, you know, we got way more solidarity honks <laughs> than we got those racist assholes. So, I, I, like, again, like, I, I, it's important to, like, that was really empowering um, and affirmed that it is, like, it's not... Like, this neighborhood is not a... a Monolith. A monolith at all. And, I mean, even the fact that, like, 30% of the people that live in the immediate vicinity are Jewish, like, why are we presupposing that they're pro-genocide, right? Like, I mean, yeah. Or even if they do support Israel, that this is somehow to wave Palestinian flags, which we weren't doing in this occasion, but previously, that waving the Palestinian flag, chanting Free Palestine, is, is a form of intimidation, right? I mean... That's kind of the sad thing about all of this is that it's it's an attempt to delegitimize right, the right to stand up and speak for Palestine and for the people of Palestine, and it's become its own whole separate rabbit hole of, of, of debate and news stories and cycles when what this is all about is we're, we're there to, you know, speak out and protest a, a genocide and protest a, a ethnic cleansing and, and apartheid and various other human rights abuses and atrocities. Uh, and, and now it's become a conversation about, you know, the, the specific nature of individual protest actions. Uh, and it's great to get the attention so that we can then move, talk about our message. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a shame. And uh, I, that's why I'm, I'm glad that some of the, you know, the events we have coming soon are, are going to be focused really on, on, the, on the change that we're trying to bring about as a part of this movement. Yeah, so the guy Sky was talking about who there was like six cops on him was actually the man who was kind of at the front and trying to keep the peace with the police officers even as they were pushing us. However, when people started getting injured, he obviously was getting concerned and he says, stop pushing us. That was all they needed. That's when they grabbed him and dragged him away. That was literally all they needed. Like he was he was just so level-headed throughout the whole thing and they just grabbed him. And with that, I I just want to bring in, like, Sky getting arrested for the Starbucks thing. 
and the just really violent way they've been you not being able it. to walk around the area without feeling yeah. uncomfortable or unsafe but it's... all of that including january 13th on our walk i think all these things are literally just the police trying to send a message early on to scare people and let them know that we can do anything because sky girl i've stickered so many starbucks and aromas and cafe <laughs> landers um nobody came into my house at four in the morning like maybe the tps has like a contract with crayola they have to defend <laughs> but Budget I, up. I don't i don't know like i was like well okay i've stickered at so many locations when are they coming to my house um so i think like sky specifically they went after her and made a big show just to send in a message uh, same with the bridge and everything that's happening and that's now yeah now with the ban i believe they've extended the ban to all the overpasses but correct me if I'm wrong, or they're working on it. So their only argument, <clears throat> exactly, because their only argument was that there were certain people in our neighborhood of a certain group that were feeling unsafe. And then they kind of played themselves. That framing was also, by the way, introduced by Mir Weinstein. Like it was him on the 23rd, on December 23rd saying, they're targeting a Jewish neighborhood that like instigated this whole special attention on Avenue. As awful as that man is, I mean, Olivia Chow did her own part calling attacks on Indigo anti-Semitic as well. So there's a lot of key players that have continually oh, Olivia Chow has done a fed lot. into this. It's conflating like a perfectly standard, genuine, peaceful protest action with some of the things you've seen, right? When Where there was the Jewish deli that, that was basically firebombed, right? And basically, news articles talking about that and a protest in the same breath as if as if they're the same thing or of the same moral character which is just completely absurd no the new, the news articles around this are i'm i'm a journalism student right now um and it's everything that we're taught is bad journalism is is what i'm seeing in these news articles it's beyond absurd and combined with yeah like they very much are making uh you guys scapegoats it's um it's very clear that because of the strength of the movements uh, of the large protests in Toronto that they've they, they've been waiting for the opportunity to pounce at at anything and they felt the frustration at, at how effective things have been at least in my observation. Um, one question I have, which isn't the question I had, but um, I know that if I'm not mistaken, and I'm no law expert, they're trying to use the Highway Act as a way to. To just because they can't just decide that a protest in a certain area isn't allowed. That's not constitutional. But I believe that they're trying. They found some loophole with the Highway Act. Have do you guys know anything about that or? Uh... Not no, 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 I'm following the nitty gritty of it. I, th I know Marco Mendicino has come out saying they should they should use the Highway and Traffic Act to as a as grounds for banning the protest i don't believe the police themselves in their statements cited any particular piece of legislation i think they just stated like for safety because there's been intimidation we are banning protests at this location full stop 
Yeah, because they're they're not allowed to do that, right? That, that that's why. And the fact that they're extending it to other overpasses makes me think that they do have a loophole that they're not making very public. That Which I believe they conveniently have. didn't like tap into when they were dropping pro Ukraine banners last year, right? From the same overpasses. Yeah, no, it's it's beyond ridiculous. <laughs> We've got many um, examples of how those two. Uh, resistance to occupation have been treated in the media by our government, by the public. It, people still have many Ukraine flags in their bio um, with no ties to Ukraine, but yet have something to say about Palestinian resistance. Uh, we know what we have to say to those people. There's something ironic about a protest being deemed um, prohibited right now as, you know, the news of the Emergency Act being used unconstitutionally uh, in the trucker convoy protests, which, of course, we're no fan of, but we're also no fan of uh, protests being called illegal. There, There's quite an audacity to be doing the same thing, except without the Emergency Act right now. And I don't believe it's something that would hold up if, you know, if they had to defend it further on. It- it doesn't even matter if it sticks or not. Like, let's say Sky doesn't face any more legal repercussions. You know, like, I hope. I, I, I don't know where this drama will take you, but we saw that Edmonton protester, an organizer, get arrested and framed as, as a hate crime for chanting, leading a chant from the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. Their charges were dropped, but their photo was out there, their name was out there, they were traumatized. That message was sent to that local community on just exactly how far the cops would go, and the job was done, right? The the charges don't need to stick, and they don't need to be constitutional, because the cops that actually end up enforcing something unconstitutional will face no personal repercussions. Like, nobody who enforced the Emergency Act will, will face any... There won't even be a tisk tisk for the politicians who is- issued it. Really, it's going to blow over. Yeah, like it's 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 the impact on the psyche it has on the populace that really does remain after all of it, right? Even if all those legal problems go away and the charter tells you that it was wrong, like the damage is kind of done because not everybody can bring it to that charter challenge and they know it. You know, like, I'm going to sue you, but like, I don't know. Do you know how to sue somebody? Do you have the resources, the time, the emotional capacity to go through that? Like, no, most people are just going to not go next time, right? Or, or, or find another way. Oh, I'm definitely looking to put a civil lawsuit in because I will not have my name beside anti-Semitism or a hate crime when none of that is true. Like Canada, thankfully, has good defamation laws. Um, I'm going to be using them. <laughs> I have the time and I have the energy. <laughs> Sky, can you talk about that one report where they confused mischief for oh my god? Else? Literally, CB24 on they reporting they're reporting my my Starbucks thing. The news, the headlines say Sky Johnson charged with mischief, but the news reporter himself says Sky Johnson charged with murder. What? <laughs> I swear to God, oh, my God. name is literally in the news. Sky Johnson charged with murder. This came out of this guy's mouth. I literally called CB24 after and said, do you want to fire him now or later? <laughs> like, because that is not going to happen to have my name associated. Mind you, I, I work with children. 
autistic children, um, people like I help people for a literal living, like to have my name so de- like demoralized and all these things. It's, it's obviously just like Jess has said, like, it doesn't matter about the charges. You could put me in jail. I could come right out a month later, do community service, whatever. That's the very least of my problems. It, it, it's the fact that my name is out there in this light. Did they issue like, a correction? Pardon? Did they issue a correction? Nope. Because <laughs> that's the type of thing oh, well, where a reporter he, has to come out and say, I said this and this was a mistake. I apologize profusely to not get sued. Did they fix it? No, they just had it in the headline and they never showed that one again. <laughs> they just had the mischief in the headline. It just, yeah. So literally, I would have never known, but thankfully on social media, people send me videos of me on the news all the time. I don't watch the news, so I would have never known. <laughs> because this is the news, right? Like, this is the stories that they're getting. It's bullshit. Can I just add something um, on top of Jessa's point and Sky, which is something we actually talked about as a group earlier this week, and it's that. This whole thing is just, it doesn't matter because I think the conversation came up with the Emergencies Act and the truckers. It doesn't matter what they try and tell us we did wrong or, you know, a temporary ban or whatever, or, you know, arrest people or catch and releases because they're literally just trying to weed out the organizers right now and people with loud voices, arrest them, have their names published, dox them, and then release them on conditions that just like tie with that include a curfew or they're told they can't go to protests or they're told they can't go to certain neighborhoods. So their goal is getting accomplished right now, especially since some people don't have, you know, a law degree or sometimes just basic information about how um you know, the things that you can say when you're arrested. On on Asiya's point, we actually had a really awesome conversation with like a movement lawyer who was telling us for future reference for your listeners that like, uh, you know, they can only hold you for 24 hours. They might offer to release you on conditions. You don't have to accept any of them. Uh, you'll get like a bail hearing within 24 hours. And apparently you don't even need to like find a lawyer for yourself because she was saying that when it comes to bail hearings, the public defenders are actually gen- generally pretty good and pretty reliable at, like, especially if the cops have arrested you for some bullshit, at, at making sure that you're released without, like, excessive conditions. And so for, for your listeners, that's, I, I thought that was really good to know. Yeah. yeah, also, when you're arrested and they do everything at the police station, the only thing you have to give them straight up, well, you don't have to, but apparently you just have to, the only thing you really should give them is your your name and your date of birth. Other than that, you're not required to give anything. And some people, this is confusing because they get into the station and they're saying, these are just some routine questions. You don't, um, don't talk have to, to cops, answer all of them. So, never. Yeah, but I don't think people know okay. that. They don't know that you don't have to answer. Did you drink or did t-shirts you smoke? That say or that did you? Then because like, that should be all a general of this, rule. Just, they think. In life. Yeah. But people... But the cops imply it. They imply that you kind of have to answer this question. And people question are scared. They make you think and if you yeah, answer it. Yeah. I'm not faulting anybody who kind of like opened their mouth and, you know, when they, they, they shouldn't have. But 
that's that is one thing that we do want to have on this show as well as is an episode that provides some legal advice and unfortunately even some legal advice doesn't mean shit if cops aren't going to follow their own damn rules or if judges aren't going to follow their rules and they're going to be vindictive and and whatnot so and it always comes like there's advice for like white folks versus cops and then there's advice for marginalized people facing cops because the reality is going to be often completely completely different uh i just want to add to what ben said which is um the 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 people who help you out for your bail hearing usually the judges will throw out the conditions the police put out so there is a good reason for you to stay overnight and just wait for the bail hearing and it makes sense because when you read the conditions and what they're trying to get charged with, it none of it makes sense. Seriously, a few people have been arrested in the last few days that that have the most ridiculous charges. It's laughable. It, it does make sense from the perspective you shared before, you know, the purpose of finding organizers and handcuffing them even proverbially. Proverb- Ugh, you know what I mean? And... You know, that's not a new tactic. Anybody, I'm going to date myself, but anybody who was involved around the G20, uh, a lot of the people who face charges after the G20, you know, were, which is kind of common, not allowed to talk to one another, which is really difficult if you're an organizer in a movement. But it was like, yeah, no talking about anything political online. No attending protests or any kind of organizing meeting associated with, you know, disruption and that is many, many, many years ago now. And these th- this is widespread common tactic that folks should be aware of. So I'm very glad that you, Asiya, brought that up. And and something similar happened uh, after the Lamport Stadium uh, encampment eviction. One of the protesters who was uh, uh, one of the organizers who was uh, arrested, they put all kinds of crazy conditions um, for their release. And they, what they ended up doing was... Um, they, they went to talk to the Toronto Star. They got a big article published outlining everything, got a lot of attention for it, and I believe it, it, it got overturned. But it's also, you know, when you get arrested, it, it is an opportunity because of how they're abusing um, the system. It's an opportunity to draw attention to it. And, like, that that's what you need to do. Don't talk to the fucking cops and make sure that your people outside are drawing as much attention to this as possible. Because behind, like, with the cameras off... Without the uh, access to the public knowing what's going on, they're going to try all kinds of fucked up shit. But the second that there's a camera on them, the second that there actually is some accountability, they shrivel up because they're terrified of actually being held accountable. So, um, yeah, I, I, those were all great points to see it. Like, never fucking talk to the cops at all. I- I, I, I talked to the cops when I was in the jail because they were like, oh, well, you don't have to answer. But if you don't, then we have more reason to do this. And I was like, you know, we can talk. I have nothing to hide. Like, I will tell you I taped a piece of paper to a window. Like, I don't know what you want to talk about, but I will tell you that. Um, and when they gave me the condition, they gave me the opportunity to stay overnight or and do the bail hearing or get the condition. But I'm black. And like, I know a lot of my friends did that bail hearing and I never saw them again for a year or two. So for me, my safety, I knew I needed to take this condition. It was my best option because the court 
is already against me in every other way, you know, and then now being pro-Palestinian, I was like, okay, I'm not going to take the chances to stay overnight because I genuinely will not know when I'm going home next. Uh, just like putting in the bail variations and getting them declined. I, I mentioned in the bail variation, I did, um, I was with Asio when we were at the overpass, we did a news interview with city TV, CB 24, like global news, like all I, I mentioned to them, I was in all these news articles. I'm working with the group. I, all of these things. And it's just constantly declined. So I know that the law, it's it's more like, oh, well, they could let you out without it, but no one's following the law anymore. So I literally had to take what they gave me, you know? Can I just add, for all the newspapers um, that have misrepresented us, they are doing this fully knowing what we stand with and what we're saying because we send them our statements and even the press release we did, we gave them our statement and we read the whole statement and they just picked out the most convenient, neutral sounding statements that we made. So they're doing this with the full knowledge that they are lying. I just oh, want to yeah. put that out there. Oh, yeah. So full manufacturing content. One, one thing I actually kind of wanted to ask Jessa and Santiago, because I fully agree with you that like when you're under conditions of arrest, like definitely don't talk to cops. But one tactic we've been talking about because there's all these like spurious like reports of like oh someone ate a watermelon or bought a watermelon so i need to report a hate crime or something like that like so i mean on the 30th my partner and i were wearing kafias and walking up to the overpass protest and some like random dude yelled at us uh, over his shoulder i hope you, i hope they fucking kill you all <laughs> Like, literally, had he, like, yelled that at us and then, like, kept walking or whatever. We were kind of shell-shocked by it. But then, like, two days later, Marco Mendicino, this is when he retweets the JDL dude, uh, Mira Weinstein. He's, like, he, he catches some protester making, like, an, a comment about how, like, Zionists had complained or something like that. And he's, like, see, they're anti-Semitic. Um, and everyone should report this stuff to the cops. So we were, like, okay, well, if that comment which was not a direct threat is going to be reported to the cops like i mean so so we called the cops and just tried to file a report with them that that had happened just to like log it in their system i don't know if you guys think that there's value to that as as a you tactic you know that's a tough one because <laughs> first of all it's personal uh especially you know that's that's a form of assault and stuff like that I never see policing as a solution. I don't think anything that, that will ever come of that that's positive, except when we talk about rising anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. And we know that white passing people are way more likely to call in these incidents. And so the figures that surround anti-Semitism are robust, right? They accurately, other than, you know, the shit that we're talking about now, but they reflect the amount of numbers that people are experiencing or at least calling in for anti-Semitism. But racialized people are much less likely to do this. And so the figures around these hate crimes seem very disproportionate, even though if you talk to any Muslim in this country and have a conversation there, I don't know if I've ever been close to any Muslim woman who has not told me about them or their mothers or their sisters questioning whether to wear their hijab, being spat on. Like, if you have not had that discussion, then Muslim friends don't feel safe around you people because it is a common experience 
before October 7th in this country, and it's not talked about enough. So if the solution is reporting it more, I don't know. That would be just such a small thing because then you'd have more figures to prove that they're, I mean, like the lived experience isn't enough. You need police report figures. I don't know. But no, my general rule is all things, the police are, are not the solution. But for me, that's very personal because if I've had a problem with them, it's actually ended up completely disastrous for me. So <laughs> uh, no, thanks. Um, but, you know, it, it opens up lar a lot of larger questions. So I would never like critique you or sorry, I would never criticize you for reporting that shit because it's angering and you want people to know it it happens and you wish every time it happened that the world knew about it, right? That it was amplified in the same way all the other things are being amplified as being hatred and supporting of terrorism. And, and that makes me quite angry, like that the Ziegler's out there get a little bit, you know, a little bit of fame, five minutes of fame and Sky is out there everywhere. And it's so disproportionate there. You're talking about someone drawing their hand across their throat simply because they're holding a Palestinian flag and, and Sky is got scotch tape as as her weapon and then those stats were used right in, even by the police to justify their own response to to the, the protests that were happening and their so budget it, increases the right matter. so ben you keep reporting those and they're just going to have justification <laughs> for asking for more money yeah, so hush hush no. but in reality like that's what this is about too, right? They want to, the police want to appear like the solution to everything, including neighborhoods feeling unsafe or whatever, you know? So those 50 cars cost for each and each officer and whatnot. So I just want to clarify. I don't think Ben was saying it was a solution. He was saying it's just one of our tactics because the fact is the police is one of the only official stats that a lot of academia uses and a lot of reporters, newspapers um, like to use because they feel it's an official stat or it is an official stat and they feel people will kind of feel that's reliable. So our only way that we wanted to go about this, which I didn't really think about your points, to be honest, like it's a good point. <laughs> But the only reason we wanted to add reports is because of how incredibly underreported hate crimes against Palestinians, Arabs, black people, indigenous people, and Muslims are. Like, it's like, man, if I, like, all of my family members have experienced many hate crimes. So imagine that with a lot of visible Muslims and Arabs and indigenous people. Like, I feel like the numbers would be crazy. So I just get really irritated when I see on the news that, you know, they're like, yeah, I guess like Arabs kind of have had it a little bad. But man, look at the other side. It just I, it, like, I don't know. That's just not a lot gets to me with this whole thing. But that for some reason gets to me. It kind of erases people's experiences, including the member in our group who was seriously injured. And I just wanted to add as well, because you you brought up uh, Ziegler and that kind of triggered <laughs> something. And on the 24th, just before that, before that, the, the overpass demonstrations were fine. I think one Zionist showed up the week before. However, the 24th is when it got really bad because Mir Weinstein 
had tweeted out and told people to go there. Ben, do you remember what it is he actually said in the tweet? Or uh, we need to. Was that when he did the chase them out tweet? Yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, physically so, was in his language. Physically yeah. chased them out. Yeah, so that's why on the twenty fourth, there were so many people with Israeli flags, and. Like, I get what Ziegler did was bad, but let me just tell you, people were saying way worse things. Me and a friend had to walk around and kind of marshal and make sure nobody got hurt and nobody was engaging in conversations that were trying to be twisted. For example, one guy just kind of came and he was like, hey, I haven't really chosen a side. Can you explain to me your side? da 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 and I'm telling the Palestinian, the pro-Palestinian, like, just stop talking to him. I promise you he's not listening. And finally, this guy on the pro-Israeli side goes, yeah, so, like, what about this Hamas that I keep hearing? What do you think? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> come on, please stop talking to him. Um, and he walks away, and these two other guys, one of them with an IDF dog tag, was just bragging about being in the IDF. Like, imagine openly bragging and kind of insinuating that you killed Palestinian people and children. I'm like, the fact that the pro-Palestinians there and Palestinians who have had a lot of family members die in Gaza were present. And they were just having to act like nothing is wrong and just pull themselves together and police themselves. And then the guy next to him who was following him around was just dogging people saying, yeah, we're gonna flatten Gaza, we're gonna flatten Gaza. So really terrible things were being said that day. And I didn't, I initially didn't understand, well, I still don't really understand why Ziegler is the one who got in trouble because there were really terrible things being said on that day. And even the week after the 24th, there were, there was like one pro-Israeli. So obviously Mir Weinstein had a big hand in how everything is happening. Who, who last year, I think, or so, sometime recently, phoned in a bomb threat to Halifax Pride because they they had, like, a, a float that was critical of Israel, and who, like, the next week, our MP retweeted. So, like, it's just, I mean, it's to me, it's absurd that this, like, literal, like, provoc fascist provocateur is setting the entire agenda for the international media, you know? What about that gun safety, like, seminar thingy mabob that someone set up? Uh, like, if refugees are coming from Gaza, we gotta, like, get prepared oh, yeah. with guns and... Yeah, um, learn how to shoot. Yeah, like, what the... Basically, yeah, Mir Weinstein put that out. He's a very interesting character. Yeah, they literally had a gun training session. I don't even know what I'm feeling at that, like gross like i think my stomach turned uh i'm gonna do some research and if i find something i'll put it in the show notes to see if there's you know anyone other than the police who are doing studies on uh on hate crimes that people can report to because um i mean that's the only alternative that i can think of and i'm sure there is i just don't know about it yeah i was gonna say the the muslim associations have set up hotlines and whatnot and and the Jewish groups are good at doing that as well to walk people through like how to properly report it or, you know, you can register it in other ways. But they I think in the end, most of them do encourage an official report if that's something you feel comfortable with. Um, I should add a disclaimer, even though you guys don't provide the best example 
and it's not your fault, it's the cops. You should have a police liaison at a large rally or a medium, small rally if you think you're going to be <clears throat> or know you're going to be accosted by police so that only one person is speaking to the police. It keeps it a little bit controlled. However, you see in this example, they targeted that police liaison. So that person also has to be willing to appear as an organizer and kind of out themselves that way. Uh, so that was kind of a, an exception to Ben's question, like, do you talk to cops? Because that is kind of standard operating procedure. But Nas, we're going to before you lose your train of thought. So that's that's what I wanted to say. Um, I was curious, like, if someone like Ben, who is obviously, you know, white, um, goes into the police and reports like, you know, hey, this man shouted at me about because I was wearing a kafiyah. Does that even get reported in like the Islamophobia category because he's white. Like, <laughs> I mean, so, incidentally, a, a Jewish member of our group got like accosted outside of his house a couple days ago <laughs> for wearing a kafiyah. I went with him to the station, <laughs> but ultimately, I just hope that because of what's happening at the ICJ right now, someone in Toronto, all the lawyers on our on the pro-Palestinian side, can hold the Toronto police accountable. Because we would have a huge case just in our own city. And I'm sure after the world sees what happens on Friday, what the results are and everything, that more people get this type of inspiration to hold these people accountable. Because the only person that can put an officer in jail is a lawyer. So I, I hope that, that that's what happens. Then a judge. But yeah, you know? don't get me all nervous about Friday and, and what those judges are going to say. But um I do have to put my kids to bed. So we're going to transition to, uh, and, and I'm sorry if folks are going to have to leave things on the table there, but we, so let's go. Let's get to what you folks have planned. So this hasn't slowed you down. You're still at work and you have some things that, now keep in mind, this won't air for probably a week. Okay. Uh, are they all this weekend? Yeah, so the 27th of January, this weekend, uh, Saturday, we have our family-friendly event, which is we're doing Art for Palestine. And essentially, our goal is to convey awareness, obviously, in our writing, especially with our very um, sort of racist <laughs> MP, Marco Mendicino. And um, we want to show our neighbors that we're here in this neighborhood, um, you know, we're, I don't know why this keeps coming up as this is a Jewish neighborhood. We're all in it together. Um, and um, so we just want to uh, make sure that, like, as a group, we can work towards the future, um, like, to show future and present politicians that we're also here so they can respect and come to start our beliefs and what we fight for. Um, okay, I'm just kind of like messing things up in my head. So Does anyone when, wanna... when and where is it? Uh, so this is at the Winchevsky Center, uh, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. So we'll be doing things like making kites. Uh, we'll be doing Palestine-themed coloring pages uh, where we want to paint a big watermelon. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love events like we this. We might have a... I love events like this and include might. like a creative element or that are family friendly. Not that I don't love a good We might have event a too. very special guest 
Um, uh, so that's something to stay tuned for. Um, something fun for the kids, you know, like this is really about building community. Um, and, you know, showing people in our neighborhood that people for Palestine, like people stand for Palestine, you know, um, not, we're not just like a group of ragtags, <laughs> you know, running around trying to cause chaos. Um, and um, the 28th, um, the location is, cannot be released yet. Uh, we will announce the morning of. This Sunday, uh, January 28th, uh, we're going at 2 to 4 p.m. From 2 to 4 p.m., we're going to do a poetry reading. We're going to have two poets come in. We're going to have some of our members um, say some, uh, read some of the poet poems. I think it's going to be a, like a really beautiful event. Um, so just watch our Twitter, which is at ELDV numeral 4 Palestine. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, both are going to like publicize what where the details are. Yeah. Folks... <laughs> That was, that was a journey, and I thought I knew some of your story, but I did not. <laughs> not, not in full, and, and that's even after following your Twitter account quite closely. And so I want to thank you all for coming on here, being very candid, very personal. And I know some, some of the stuff that you folks shared was not easy to do. So I, I very much appreciate that. And what I appreciate even more <laughs> is the solidarity and support you show each other and that you shared with us here because that gives us warm fuzzies. We need warm fuzzies to keep going. Sky needs it to, you know, face these bullshit charges. And uh, it's hard doing what you're doing, where you're doing with that kind of resistance. And it would really wear on you a lot more if you didn't have each other. So my hope is that there are, in every writing where someone is hearing this, they start scouring those toxic Facebook pages for somebody that makes some sense to them and make connections where there were no connections before. Because, like, you might know some people. It's easy to organize with people you know. But this is a different time now, right? We need to be networks, make networks we've never had before uh, because we're facing something we've never faced before. Uh, I, I very much appreciate your time and the audience, if you have stayed till the end, I very much appreciate your time and giving these folks the space and air that they deserve. So solidarity with all of you folks. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Thank you. Thank you for yeah, having us. You did amazing. Also love your take about a poster. In the <laughs> it's a tea towel. <laughs> My mom has a tattoo of that. I had a feeling <laughs> I'd like your mom uh, when you started talking about your upbringing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we'd be friends. I'm a little older. I could probably <laughs> probably knew your mom <laughs> cried out loud. Thank but you guys, that's seriously. actually a tea towel. Um, just pinned to the wall. Oh, I wow. couldn't use it to dry my dishes. That seems like wrong. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, solidarity, people. And please, please keep up your hard work. Thank you for giving us a platform where we don't have to condemn Hamas first. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, 
please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.